You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, we go live to an event at Plug and Play where we sit down with Paul Epstein, leadership expert, organizational coach guru, and founder of Purpose Labs. With nearly 15 years of experience in professional sports management and business coaching, Paul shares his transformative journey and insights with us. Now, on this week's episode, the microphone that I had had a little bit of problems with it while we were on stage. Paul's audio is fantastic, so wanted to give everyone a heads up with that. Now, let's go right into this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. We're going to dive into Paul's book a little bit. We're also going to dive into some of his public speaking engagements and everything. But for our audience, can you give a little bit of a background of your career up until this point? For sure. So just by show of hands, any Niners fans out there? Niners, we're on home turf here. Okay, good. So I thought I was working in a dream career, like a total kid in a candy store moment. I worked 15 years in the NFL and NBA, most recently a handful of years with the 49ers heading up their revenue team. And we'll talk about this, about why no longer in sports. And there was this Jerry Maguire type leap. So I think especially as an entrepreneurial community and kind of that fire and spirit that we're all about, we can appreciate that, that risk, that leap that many of us have taken at one point in our lives, placing a bet on ourselves and then on others. So that's a little bit about the journey. It was, it was three NBA teams rising from an entry to an executive level, uh, then uh, heading up revenue for a Super Bowl, breaking an all-time revenue record, and then most recently, the Niners. But the really cool part about it was it was a lot of walking through fire. And I think that's where we can all connect because understatement of the year, life's not easy. Understatement of the year, business isn't easy. And in sports, we called it, how do you play offense in a defensive environment? So defense was the hurdles, the obstacles, the setbacks, the challenges, the adversity, all the things that get in the way between us and winning. And I don't know if I was the black cat of the industry or whatever, but 15 years in the industry, Sean, and one playoff experience. So 14 losing seasons out of 15 years. You almost couldn't purposely plan that even if you wanted to, but it was just crazy. Like I I remember selling the LA Clippers. ESPN said, you're the worst brand in sports. Front cover of Sports Illustrated, worst franchise in sports history. And you got to sell that. New Orleans, you almost lose the team to permanent relocation. Sacramento, Paul, you're in charge of company culture. And then bang, a league-wide labor lockout. So how do you manage morale when it feels like people's livelihoods are taken away? And then fast forward, Niners. And I think we all know where I'm going with this, but there was a story that was a lot bigger than sports. Let's just say somebody did something controversial on a Sunday afternoon that was not about ESPN. It was a CNN, Fox and Beyond story. And so you know where I'm going with this. And Kaepernick taking a knee and heading up sales and service and facing 70,000 fans in the aftermath of that. When I say walking through fire, I just gave you a sneak peek of what that 15 years looks like. And then, of course, there's a leap. And now I'm writing books and speaking. But that's really the backstory. Okay, so there's so many things that lead up to the questions. One of them is, could you go a little bit deeper into what's it like when the team, you're representing that losing team, but you have that fine spirit. You know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but you got to get there. I mean, there's so many entrepreneurs that struggle. One day, things are going great. The next day, it's peaks and valleys. How do you go through those valleys to get to the next peak? 
So what do we do? Well, here's the thing. I, I think we would all agree. Sometimes it's a bad economy. Sometimes it's new competition. Sometimes it's just the acceleration and the velocity of a marketplace, whatever it is. It shocks me sometimes. I'm brought in as a keynote speaker all the time and they say, we need help navigating change and embracing uncertainty. And in my head, I'm like, isn't that every day? Like a lot of folks in the world act as if that's a new phenomenon and it's just not. Like I learned that lesson. Is this better audio wise, by the way? Okay, awesome. Yeah, it feels a lot better. So when I'm the business guy, I have no control of wins and losses on the court or the field or the ice or whatever it is. And so I just kind of got used to this fact that this is reality. Like I don't have control of my environment. So then the million dollar question is, what do I control? And that's where a lot of us can really rally around this concept of, well, I control my mindset. I control my effort, my attitude, my energy. Like for a lot of us that are navigating company culture, even if it's a small culture, but sometimes it's a big culture. I used to think culture is top down. And I worked in a lot of cultures. You know how they say, Sean, that you learn something from everybody in every place, whether what to do or what not to do? Well, I learned a whole lot of the second early in my career. And maybe that resonates with a lot of folks. You you understand a lot of what not to do. So you want to do the opposite. But here's what I understood about culture. They always said culture was top down. The problem with that is, well, if you're losing games or if it's a bad economy or a bad market or you're being disrupted, then there's this kind of aura about it that makes it somewhat negative. But I challenge folks to think of all culture is local. Because when I do my consulting work, I go into floor five of a building and they're high-fiving. I go into floor six and it's, watch out, bosses around the corner. And folks, this is not just the same company. Floor five and six are the same department, drastically different weather system, which proved to me that within a greater climate, there are infinite microclimates. So the challenge and the invitation for all of us, myself included, is when you're surrounded by adversity and uncontrollable elements, I just believe that all culture is local. And I believe that when I hop in a Zoom meeting or when I step on a stage, I have two choices. I could warm it up or I could cool it off. The question is, are we aware of our own temperature? So that's the million dollar piece. And when you want to talk about how do you control the controllables, one of the things we do control is, are we consistently warming up rooms? And if you are, then I would respectfully challenge and say, is the person to your left and right? I don't mean in this room. I mean it back on your home turf, back with your team and organization. Because what I found is top down culture doesn't scale. Local culture does. When every person owns their weather system, that's a culture that scales. And the second piece that I'll add to that, Sean, as far as controlling the controllables, I'm kind of a keep it simple guy. So LA Clippers, we were losing a ton of games. And I remember making a commitment. I actually called it a constitution because it felt more formal. I had my employees sign the constitution on their first day. It was a six to nine month. Think of it almost like an accelerator, but it was kind of a sales accelerator. It was a six to nine month type program. And so if I hire them on January 1st, I said, all right, cool. Between July 1st and end of September, October, whenever the end of the next quarter was, I would say, you give me these three things. And I will take care of you the rest of your life. You would think it would be about revenue because this was sales, but it wasn't. It was work ethic, positivity, and coachability. Work ethic, positivity, and coachability. So I would ask everyone, what are the non-negotiable controllables that we're inspiring in our teams? You could have a different three and that's totally cool. But a lot of my peers that were leaders, they let the environment dictate the energy of the room. And I was like, this is bullshit. We're going to be about work ethic, positivity, and coachability. My job as the leader is to hire the best talent. 
So that's why I didn't put sales pressure on them. If you're not able to sell, then I made the bad hire, but you cannot not work hard. You cannot have a negative attitude. You cannot not be coachable. You give me those three things. I have lifelong friends. It did not work out in sales for many of them, but I kept my word of just wanting to be an ambassador for the rest of their career. And I think that's something we can all embody is owning whatever those controllables are that are non-negotiable for us. So how did you keep people motivated though during those tough times? Different answers for different environments. I think for a lot of us, some of us are in a short game environment. Some of us are in a long game environment. I always think long game and the horizon play is the healthier play. But in a short game, I think this is all about just identifying, I call them customized carrots. So we think of carrots and sticks. So carrot is the motivator. Stick is, hey, if somebody doesn't do something, that's their penalty, the consequence, whatever. And the thing is, we all feel, at least the way I was raised in business, I was presented this generic format of carrot. Like everybody cares about money. Wrong. Everybody cares about title. Wrong. Everybody cares about what their responsibilities are day in wrong. Like some people do just like Silicon Valley. We fell into this trap and I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus here. I used to think that ping pong tables were the answer to everything. Okay. <laughs> you want to ask Paul, how do you inspire great culture at the Niners? Get him another ping pong table. That's what everybody else is doing. And then you realize ping pong tables matter to 10%, 20%, but it's not a hundred. And so I think in a short game, it's about understanding what is it, what's the intrinsic motivation. So the ideal environments that I have found in a lot of my consulting practices, the optimal environments are when we don't have to rely on carrots or sticks. Carrots and sticks are extrinsic motivators. The environment in between are intrinsic motivators. And we've done a lot of studies about this. So I'll, I'll unpack a handful of different elements, no details added, but just quick hits on if you were doing an audit of how healthy is my culture, how, how intrinsically motivated is the environment. And this works in short game and long game. So in no particular order, purpose. People feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. In our space, that's probably pretty high, but in most spaces, not. But in this room, I trust that. Choice. Do people have a say in what they do? Sports metaphor, are you just handing them a playbook to say, here's the playbook, go execute? Or are you asking your players, what kind of plays do you want to run? And you customize that based on their gifts and talents and abilities. So that's choice. Then we go with progress. Progress, are people better when they leave the office than when they showed up? So if you're investing in my growth, not just to sell more widgets, me as a human being, a holistic Paul, you care about me as a person. And if I feel like you're investing time, energy, and resources into making me better in my investment of 8, 10, 12 hours a day, whatever it is, then I'm going to go to bat for you the rest of your life because I'm leaving better than when I came in. And then last would be impact. Am I making a difference? Because when people make a difference, it, we're, they're scratching the contribution itch. And again, I think in this room, we get that. But in the non-entrepreneurial community, most companies don't. They think that it's money, title, and responsibilities. And I'm like, dude, those are all extrinsic. The intrinsic is about the purpose, the choice, the progress, and the impact. All right. Let's move to your brand new book now. There's a, there's a part in it that talks about the most valuable decision. What is the most valuable decision? So in sports, they have a term called MVP, most valuable player. I wrote a book, Better Decisions Faster, to help us with our MVDs, our most valuable decisions. Because here's a research step that's going to blow your mind. I did not know this. It scared the hell out of me the first time that I not only understood the research, but then I verified it. And it is scary true. The average adult makes 35,000 decisions in a day. Every person in this room is going to make 35,000 decisions in a day. 
spooky. Now, the majority are on autopilot. Turn less into the driveway, brush your teeth. I didn't write the book for those things. I wrote them for the MBDs, the ones of higher consequence, higher stakes, higher value. So the pain points that I was trying to solve for were paralysis. We've all suffered from that at one point, self-included, of course, paralysis. If you're in a leadership capacity, decision fatigue and decision overwhelm, like, man, an other decision, like the weight feels like it's all on your shoulders. And then when we get paralyzed or we suffer from fatigue or overwhelm, then we make the worst decision of them all, which is in decision. We don't make a decision. And that's the silent killer. So with our MVDs, this was about identifying what is most valuable to you? And this is going to shift throughout our life. I think if we're, hey, if we're, I call it a business baby, right? Especially as a founder, like we have, I got real babies, I got business babies. And at different points in my career, at different points in my life, I'm going to have different MVDs. Right now, health is something that I've, I'm pretty spot on. Like it's optimal. Two years ago, health was not what I was taking the best care of. And A, I looked different. B, I felt different, but it wasn't an MBD. I was in growth mode and I over-indexed intentionally. That's the key word, intentionally. I knew there were other parts of this life portfolio, but I also know that we can't kick ass and get A pluses in every single area of life simultaneously. It's just time is a finite resource. It's a bandwidth issue. So ultimately it's like, what are the priorities? I think there's probably two or three buckets of life that we can really flex hard on and we can get an A in that test. And we just need to be okay that other things are not going to be optimized. But then we kind of zoom out and we either do a one-year, two-year, or three-year test to try to optimize for the rest and re-ask ourselves, what are my MBDs now? There's also another thing in the book that you mentioned about red light, green light, yellow light. What is that? Yeah, let's unpack it. All right. So when you write a book, they always say, write the book that you once needed. Like a, a thought leader like me, the, the, my coach tells me, write the book that you A, once needed. We are best equipped to serve the you of yesterday. And so I just ask myself, all right, what are the things I believe that I figured out by probably, I don't love the word failure. I'm sure a lot of us hate that word, but it's kind of like, what are my growth moments? What are my learning moments, right? With the thing, the times the outcome wasn't what I wanted. And I realized that decision-making was this critical gateway. Paul makes great decisions. He's got a great quality of life. He makes crappy decisions. Life ain't so good. So if all I said was make better decisions faster, that's cool. It might inspire some people, but then the rubber meets the road and you're like, well, now what do I do on Monday morning? How do I, how, how do I apply this? So that's what the book is about. The method, and I just take a 60 second masterclass. It's that simple, but it's super powerful. So I call it the head, heart, hands equation. Head is our mindset. Heart is our authenticity. Hands are our actions. So the equation is, and this is how we make better decisions faster. Head plus heart equals hands. In other words, when deciding whether to use our hands, whether to take action, there's two checkpoints, head and heart. Head, do I think it's a good idea? Heart, do I feel it's a good idea. And just like a traffic signal, we know exactly what to do. You see green, you go. You see red, you stop. You see yellow, you assess. That's how the equation works. When you're heading your heart or on board, it is a green freaking light. We go 10 out of 10 times. Head and heart are fully ignited. Take action. Flip side, no head, no heart, no action. Either don't do it or stop doing it. And then when one of the two, head or heart is on board, that's the yellow light. And that's where we got to solve for the gap. So when I write a book like Better Decisions Faster and I share the playbook, 
It's to fill our business and our lives and our careers and our health and our relationships with an abundance of green lights. It's to raise awareness so that we stop running reds. And then last but not least, the messy middle of yellow, which is going to be about 80% of our hard decisions. That's why I wrote the playbook. It's to navigate and conquer the messy middle of yellow. Can you give us some possible examples? And I'm also curious, how did you get the nickname, the Y Coach? Yeah, well, let's let's separate those. We'll get to Y Coach after. So green, yellow, red. Which, which color do you want me to start with? The yellow, the hard stuff. Let's just hang out in yellow. Thank you for saying that, by the way, because the reality is greens and reds are about awareness. You don't need to open the pages to know, okay, Paul, got it. Head and heart on board, green light, take action. And then the opposite, oh gosh, thanks for making me aware of my reds. I'm not going to do that anymore. Let's talk about the two types of yellow. Couple insights that I've learned about yellow. Partly through writing the book, through applying it, and then the feedback that you get once the marketplace actually gives you feedback. I think that's, it's been out two or three weeks and I've already received an abundance of feedback primarily with the yellow lights. Okay, there's a good yellow and a bad yellow. So if I was to ask you in the audience right now, which is more likely to change week to week, month to month, year to year, your head or your heart? Which is going to change? You think your heart? Head, raise your hand. Heart, raise your hand. Okay. All All right. 80, 20, 90, 10, all good. So in this case, respectfully, I'm going to go with the majority. I'm not going to wake up with a different heart tomorrow, but I can try to solve for some head gaps, as I'll call them. So if if your heart is unlikely to change in this example, then that is a yellow that's never going to be a green. Never. Because your heart's never going to join for the party. I don't like dead end yellows. I like yellows that can potentially transform into greens. So here's an example of the bad yellow. So I used to run big sales teams. And I think this example works for relationships of any kind. It certainly works in the entrepreneurial space. For me, I was running big sales teams. Okay. So in the sales space, you often have a top producer, a top performer. They sell the most widgets. So your head loves them because they generate numbers. It's sexy in Excel. CFO is happy and you've got goals and expectations and metrics and KPIs and OKRs and quotas. And so your head says, keep them, but sometimes they're not the easiest to work with. Very common. So your heart knows they're not a keeper. Keep them, not a keeper. And so in my case, I'm managing a lot of pains in the you know what in certain environments. And I'm like, man, this person's impossible but they sell. So my head kept them. TikTok, one year, two years, three years go by. Now my culture's all messed up. And now I've got engagement problems. My best people are leaving because they're like, oh, boss tolerates this. So now I got retention problems. And the marketplace hears about this. So now I got recruiting problems. And the reality is those are just symptoms of yellow lights. I was making yellow light decisions, head on board. Heart was never going to be on board in these scenarios. And the domino effects were a silent killer because it just permeated. And this yellow is more deadly than red because at least the red snap your fingers, decisions made, it's done. This yellow, you bleed out. It's like death by a thousand cuts, right? So that's the bad yellow. The heart yellow, which I'll be super quick with, it's not common where our heart is a hell yes about something. So when your heart is on board, my recommendation is stay in that fight. It's so rare when you're a hell yes in your heart. I believe literally leading from the heart has become a forgotten art. That's something that I'm always talking about. It has become a forgotten art in our space of business. We think that we go, go, go. We do, do, do. It's a lot of head. It's a lot of hands. And often I'm guilty of this too. 
I wrote this book so I would stop ignoring my heart. I wrote this book so I wouldn't bypass this feel that I have. What's authentic? What's my truth? And people also ask me, what, where does gut fall into the head, heart, hands? Well, gut is largely a feeling and heart is the feeling. And so a lot of us have, we call it great intuition, great gut, great all that. And I believe that that's the power of checking in with our heart. Last quick comment on this, Sean, and then actually go ahead. stay on that even. Yeah. Further. What happens when you're in a situation, say sales, but you have to onboard that difficult client? You know you have to work with them, but your heart's saying no. Are are you the boss, or you're just front lines? Like you're the service person in charge of this potentially painful client? You're the serve. You're the account executive. Yeah. The boss says you have to work with them. Yeah. Okay. In this case, if I'm the AE, I'm the account executive, and I know for whatever data points I already have, I already know this person's going to be a pain in the, you know what, maybe they got transferred to me by somebody that I know and trust. Okay. Well, in this case, we're like, all right, I already know this client is a red or a yellow, right? I think being an optimist, that's just my default setting. I'm going to do what I can in my control to be like, hey, maybe I'm not just going to like... I'm not going to give up on this relationship before it even starts. So I'm going to do everything in my power to ask, can it become a green light? If I do my part, can it become a green? But here's the reality. And a lot of us, I, even if we're running companies now, we didn't start there. At one point, we worked for somebody else, all of us. And so I've been in that AE situation. I've inherited some stuff that I wasn't fond of, to be polite. And over time, what I realized is... We all vibrate to the color of the organization or the local culture that we're a part of. So in other words, if my boss is consistently feeding me yellow and red clients, then that decision over time, the compounding negative effect on my spirit, my morale, my energy, my attitude, now I'm bringing that bad energy home and now I'm not as good of a husband or a, or a dad or whatever. At some point, I got to ask myself, is that the life that I believe in? And at some point, if it's not my decision and you're consistently handing me yellows and reds, then I got a question. Is this my tribe? Is this my home? Is this where I want to invest 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, especially in this type of high growth environment? And early in my career, I did what I had to do. And I sadly hung around a lot of yellows and reds. And I wasn't always the happiest or most fulfilled, but I was climbing a ladder because that's what I was told to do. And I thought that was success. And I thought it would bring me a smile. And then over time, you start to figure the game out a little bit. And I'm like, dude, life's too short for reds and yellows. I'm going to surround myself with greens. Today, I only work with green light clients. I beg my yellows to fire me. Like, but I, but I didn't do that before. That came through a lot of pain of just hanging out with too many yellows and reds at a different chapter. And before we wrap up, what information, what takeaways do you want the audience here, mostly entrepreneurs, mostly investors, to take away from your life experience with all the teams and your book, other than go out and buy the book and hire you to speak? <laughs> yes, but both. Check, check. Um, okay. Well, a couple of things. I Look, I, I think in the entrepreneurial community, I call them the five Ps. They are purpose, people, process, performance, and profit. Every one of our organizations started at a point of purpose. There was a founder's heart, a founder's dream, a founder's mission. It was heart. Yes, you thought it would be successful in your head, but without your heart, you never have this business baby. So there is a point of purpose. And then early in your journey, you invite people to join you along the way. And then over time, you develop a process so you can run an effective and efficient business. And then eventually you measure performance and you hope to achieve a profit. What happens as we mature as an organization and we grow is we drift. We drift from those original two Ps. 
not because we're bad people, but because we're busy growing and scaling. And so then process, performance, and profit are over-indexed. We forget about the people that helped us build this wonderful thing. And the heart is rarely connected to that original point of purpose. So that's what I have figured out from my experience is how do we create harmony? I'm not here to tell you that the first two matter more. I believe all five matter equally. It's about harmony. It's about integration of the five P's, not about saying the latter three win or the first two win. No, we all have goals and, and missions and dreams, but that that's one piece. And, and I, I really want to come back to this, Sean. It's not about repeating myself. I just believe this. In a world of so much head, the strategy, the innovation, it's all logic and logic and logic. And some of us might slant toward the logic, but here's the beauty. It's not head minus heart. It's not head or heart. It's head plus heart equals hands. So in other words, if your default setting or where your company is in its trajectory is heavy on the head, this equation forces the heart to be integrated into how you make decisions. And all decisions lead to actions. Actions lead to positive outcomes, all these wonderful things. And what if you are like me? What if you're heavy on the emotion side? And you're heavy on the heart. Well, this is my check that, Paul, you need to go to the data. You need to surround yourself with people that might be wired differently. Otherwise, we're going to be all heart or all head. So I just want to invite everybody to, to think of like sports metaphor. There's a locker room. You have a locker room. You have a team. It might be a one-person locker room, a two-person locker room, a 20, a 200, or a 2,000-person locker room. But you got a locker room. That's for sure. And so I would urge everybody to make sure that we're integrating the head and the heart at all times, because that can drive the right green lights. And maybe the last thing I'll share on this is the transformation I've seen, especially in the entrepreneurial space, we're not all going to agree on things. We're going to have a different viewpoint, even within a team. So what the feedback from early readers has been in the past couple of weeks is, Paul, we love head hard hands, very easy to memorize, very easy to scale within our culture. Everybody can adopt this equation. We love green, yellow, red, super simple. Thank you for sharing. Here's what I didn't plan. And that's why it's not in the book. People have shared with me that it's not just about the color green, yellow, red. It's about the intensity, the intensity of the color. So there's a light green and there's an all in green. There is a yellow that you're feeling yellow or it's kind of like a shoulder shrug, like eh, I'm a yellow. I'll tell you personally, to be very open and vulnerable about this. I had this scenario with my wife when we were having the really difficult conversation of do we have a second kid or not? And we landed on different colors. Maybe some of you have been there about some serious inside of your home conversations. She was a green. I was a yellow. And as we talked about it, it wasn't a personal thing. It wasn't like, oh, Myra, why do you think that? Oh, Paul, why do you think that? It wasn't vicious. It was about, now apply this to your companies when you don't always agree. Explain your green. Open face cards. She asked me to explain the yellow. And I did. And it's not just because I got outvoted one to one that now we're expecting our second. That's not why. But she was a very intense green. And my yellow was kind of like, eh, I had logical concerns. My heart was in. She's a green light. I don't want to live my life without her. So therefore, I went over to her side. It was the right decision because she was a hell yes green, intense green. I was a light yellow. So now imagine that conversation in your team where instead of, do I like this person? Do I respect this person? Do I trust this person? All these subjective things that get in the way of a lot of our of our culture. Now it's just like, oh, well, Mary's a yellow and Joe is a green. 
Let's let's talk about that. Oh, it's a marketing decision. My my CMO is a strong green. Everybody else is kind of a eh, yellow. Well, let's let's roll because now we're not disagreeing. We're just having empathy for the other person. We're building connection and camaraderie and trust. And I think that that's like the, that's the thing that I wish I had known before I finished writing the book. Because the intensity of the color matters as much as the color. And I believe that if we all apply the head, heart, hands equation in our business, it's not just going to help us in business. As entrepreneurs, we know that we are only as good as who we holistically are. I believe health, relationships, our time management, our prioritization, all of those things benefit. I'm a better parent because of applying this, even though I thought it was mainly a work thing. And Paul, if anyone wants to order your book or get in touch with you for speaking opportunities, what's the best way to go about doing that? For sure. So all things paulepsteinspeaks.com. That's the website. That is the hub. That is the home. Of course, I welcome any invitation to create positive impact in your organization. And then the book is on a little website called Amazon. Okay. So here's my ask. So if you, I care about one thing more than how many people buy the book. I care about how many people use the book. If you told me that this book is going to be used by more than buy it, I would sign up for that impact a million out of a million times. So if you use it and if it helps you, my one ask, and this is my algorithm God ask, leave a review on however you used it, however it benefited you, however it helped your life, uh, because that's the biggest green light that you could give me. All right. With that, let's give a round of applause. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the siliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.